as um, was said, I'm from Tearfund. We are a charity that works on reducing poverty um, and working through local churches to be able to do that and enable people to lift themselves out of poverty. Um, I specifically work in the campaigns team, so that's working, sorry, working with individual Christians and also congregations um, to adapt their lifestyles and really to live out justice um, as a response to the gospel rather than something that is kind of on the side um, and secondary to it. Beyond the day job, um, I just love working with young people, seeing you all empowered to lead um, and have a really big heart for reconciliation across generations um, and across cultures as well. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Today, talking about God's heart for climate change. Um, and I think often when we talk about climate, we don't necessarily put God in the center of it. And I want to do that today. Um, when I'm talking about God's heart, Sorry, we've got a few more people coming in. Um, when we're talking about God's heart, we're talking about his desires, um, his perspectives, what he cares about, and also his character. And I think that that is best understood and revealed through relationship with him. So I'm going to talk about not just what does God think about climate today and very finite things, but how do we in our relationships with God kind of understand his heart as um, climate changes um, and as, yeah, as things change over time. I'm gonna pray very, very quickly, um, just to start off. So yeah, God, um, I thank you for this moment. We don't take it for granted. Um, and we know that you are here in this moment. I pray that even as we talk about connecting to your heart, that we will come with a posture of vulnerability um, and expecting to meet with you, knowing that as we meet you, um, you do transform us and we will be transformed open our ears and our eyes to see and to hear you. Um, and I pray that you also anoint my lips um, and calm my nerves to be able to deliver for your people. Amen. So we know that the climate crisis has kind of come about because we've mismanaged the Earth's resources. Um, that is not a massive shock. We all know that. I think what's interesting for us coming into this conversation as Christians, though, is that we were given an instruction to steward the planet. Um, that's what God has asked us to do. When we look in Genesis chapter two, um, we see that Adam was placed in the garden to care for and to protect the Garden of Eden um, and, and to care and to protect, for, to protect nature. We haven't done a very good job of that. Um, and I think it's really about time that we kind of go back and look at God's heart um, for what he intended for stewardship. Um, and when I think of stewardship and what that looks like, one of the scriptures that I often turn to is the parable of the talents. Um, so I'm going to use that to kind of walk through today and pick out a specific aspect of it. So you can turn with me or I will just read from Matthew 25. I'm going to summarize it quite quickly and pull out a couple of specific verses. So it starts in verse 14. I'm trying to decide when to switch. <laughs> starts in verse 14, um, and the parable 
starts out talking about a man who has a bunch of wealth um, and he's going on a journey and so he entrusts his wealth um, with three of his servants. He gives them each a portion of this wealth which he describes as talent. So to the first one he gives five, to the second he gives two and to the third he gives one. Um, he goes on his journey, he comes back, he assembles them all, he lines them up and he asks them what um, they've done with it. The first two, they've um, managed their money and they've doubled it, they give it back to him. The third one, um, however, when he's asked about what he does, he has a little bit of a breakdown. So in verse 24, this is going to get awkward now, isn't it? Sorry. Um, in verse 24, the scripture reads, the one who had received one talent also came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a harsh and demanding man, reaping where you did not sow and, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what, what is your own. And when I read these two passages, what really stands out to me is that the servant was responding to who he understood his master to be. And so it says he understands that his master was a harsh and demanding man. The result of that is that he became afraid um, and then his action followed from that emotion, from that fear, and he decided to hide the talent in the ground. And so when I'm thinking about connecting to God's heart for climate, um, and, and often people ask me, what should I do? What's the best thing to do? How do we take this? Actually, our actions stem from who we understand God to be. Our understanding of stewardship and what he's asked us to do is rooted in who we understand him to be. And so let's explore that. Let's think about his character and let's think about how that can direct our actions um, and what we focus on in relation to climate. Um, what I'm going to do is just ask us to put ourselves in the servant's shoes um, and to imagine that God kind of came to us and asked us what we did or what we have done with our creation and to consider what we could respond to him thinking about who he is. So the first thing that we could respond is, Master, I know you to be a king who rules with justice. So in Psalms we know or we see um, that David describes God as a king who rules with righteousness and justice. He describes it as the foundation of his throne. And that's a theme that we see throughout the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament, where Jesus tells off the Pharisees because they bring their tithes and they obey the law, but they don't um, pay attention to justice. They don't care about justice. And so we see constantly God really cares about justice. And the things that we care about are the things that we pay attention to, right? And so when we're looking at the climate crisis, could we consider that God is looking at the justices or the injustices that are taking place as a result of climate change? I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, so the first one is that climate change has the biggest impact on those who are poor. Um, that is the case in the UK and it's a case, the case around the world. Um, when we look on a global scale, um, we see that that impact is often on formerly colonised countries. And so not only is this, there this ah, poverty difference, but it also means that those who, impact, who are impacted most by climate change also happen to be black and brown people. There's a massive difference there, and that's an injustice. I'll give you another example. Um, women and girls are also most likely, sorry, not most likely, suffer the harshest impacts of climate change. 
um, we have a member on our team who's from Zambia and she constantly tells this story because it's something that she's seen her, with her own eyes of the impact of climate change on girls. So in many communities, girls are responsible for fetching water for the household and that often happens before school. One of the impacts of climate change is that there, there are droughts um, or increased temperatures means that rivers dry up. Girls who are fetching water therefore have to travel further to find a water source. By the time they've got back, it means either they've missed a large portion of school or they've missed school altogether. That creates an attainment difference between themselves and their boy peers. That's a difference and that's an injustice. One more on girls, um, because again, it's, it's happening right now. Um, in times of drought, we see that there is an increase in child marriages. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen, I'm hoping you've seen the headlines of the East Africa hunger crisis caused by severe droughts, again, due to climate change. Families who usually have agricultural land, they don't have any food, but it also means that they don't have any money because they don't have any crops to sell. Um, and so what families have ended up doing is selling their children because they receive dowry or what others might call a bride price. And that's the money that they're using to attempt to buy grain. Me personally, what I find really upsetting about that is that the dowry that they receive is also a finite resource. And so at some point they will run out of resource to be able to buy more grain, right? And, and so then what? And again, that is such an injustice. Um, and I think God sees all of this. And if we're connecting to God's heart, then it's something that we should see too and respond to that. A second response um, that we could give is, Master, I know you to be a lover of worship. And often, I, I think we're very aware and we recount the fact that um, we as humans are created to worship. I don't think what we recount often enough though is that creation also worships God. Nature worships God, both the living and the non-living. In Psalms and in Revelations, we see amazing depictions, depictions of nature bowing down before God, worshiping God. In Psalms, David repeatedly um, talks about the heavens, he talks about the sun, the moon, the stars, the vast expanse that they take up. He talks about how gloriously beautiful they are and how they reflect the glory of God. Um, and he also orchestrates worship. Um, and so in Psalm 148, he calls on each of these bodies to worship God. And I sit and I wonder, what if these elements of nature worship God. Why is he calling on them? And there is a beauty that David sees. I see that he's coordinating an orchestra. I think he calls it the chorus of creation. And in the, that moment, he's positioning humans next to, next to nature to worship God together. And I think that provides a really great challenge for us for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it reminds us that we aren't the only created things that bear the fingerprint of God. Nature does as well. Um, and there is a respect for that. Secondly, 
is a really big challenge because God created nature to receive worship from it. And so what does it mean for us to go and to mistreat it? I really struggled to articulate this when I was thinking about it, because for me, it kind of wells up an emotion, it wells up a feeling. And the only couple of analogies I have are firstly, taking candy from a baby and then throwing it on the ground and stamping all over it, knowing that that baby would have, I don't know why I said candy, I'm not even American, <laughs> but knowing that that child would have enjoyed sweets, right? Um, and intentionally kind of taking that joy. Maybe the second analogy, um, which may feel more likely, is to imagine those moments when we've received a compliment or when we've done something really, really well and we've, we've received praise for it and how amazing that makes us feel. We're just little humans. God receives so much more than that and the feeling of that joy is so much bigger. But for me, I feel as though when we destroy nature, when we're careless with nature, actually we're doing the same thing. We're disregarding that relationship that God has with nature. And yeah, I, I think it's quite selfish. Um, and I, I just think it's kind of really mean. Um, and that's also something for us to consider. A third response we could have is, Master, I know you to be a man who is moved by compassion. Countlessly throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus moved by compassion. There are people around him who are in need. Um, they are coming to him, they're asking for healing, they're asking for direction, they're asking for wisdom. And he doesn't brush over them, he's moved by compassion. And that's exactly what we love about him, right? And I really want to hone in, not just on the compassion, but the fact that that inspired him to action and that should be our model really it's not so much about saying oh we earn a badge of christ-likeness because we felt what jesus felt actually are we doing what jesus did and are we allowing ourselves to move um, from being in that place So we've kind of talked about heart, sorry, talked mostly <laughs> thinking kind of head. Um, I feel like this has been quite wordy. We haven't quite connected yet. Um, but I think if we're connecting to God's heart, like in worship when we're thinking about connecting spirit and in truth, spirit to spirit, how can we also engage our own um, emotions, thoughts and character um, with God? Like I said at the beginning, that this is all about relationship. And I think what is amazing is that our relationship with God isn't stagnant in the same way that the climate, climate issues and climate injustices that we see aren't stagnant. Um, I don't know if any of you have been following COP27, um, the big UN climate summit that's been happening the last couple of years. Sorry, a couple of weeks, <laughs> um, but it has been going on for a few years but it's when a bunch of world leaders all gather together and have conversations about how they're going to advance. My team have been watching it so closely because things are changing rapidly. And every day we're having a conversation of how do we respond to this? What do we say? What are we sending out? What are we asking people to pray for? Because things change so rapidly. And I think in this environment, it's also important that we are constantly checking back in with God 
But how do we do that? And I think with, the, with climate change, sometimes things can feel really sciencey and a little bit abstract. And I think often it's difficult to know, okay, God, what do you actually want me to do here? I'm feeling the compassion, I'm ready to move, but I don't really know what to do with my hands. Where are you in this? Um, and I think there are a couple of ways that we can approach this. So I think the first way when we come to God and we say, God, how do you feel about this? It's a posture of kind of taking on God's burden. It's saying, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Um, yeah, how do you feel about this? It's about receiving God's burden. The second practice, though, I think takes a different tone. We ask that question in a different way. It's saying, God, how do you feel about this? Because if it's all those things that we've been talking about, it's the injustice, it's the suffering. Actually, God, how are you feeling about this? I'm seeing this map out day to day. I'm supposed to be trusting you that you're doing something. I've been out protesting and I'm tired. Can you answer me? What do you feel about this? Um, I think what's really great about our God is that he is so willing to not only listen to our beautiful, glorious praises, but he's also so willing to hear our hurts and to hear our frustrations. Um, and the Bible says that we can come boldly before his throne. Um, one of my favorite, favorite passages in the Bible um, is the first two chapters of Habakkuk. And I think Habakkuk in this place demonstrates this moment, this feeling, and how we approach God. So I'm going to go there now. So just for a little bit of context, Habakkuk is a prophet. Um, and he's standing there and watching all of the palaver happening in Israel, watching all of the injustice. <laughs> and Habakkuk is mad. So verse two, he says, Oh Lord, how long will I call for help and you do not hear? I cry to you violence and you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? For destruction and violence are before me. Strife continues and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ineffective and ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, and therefore justice becomes perverted. In verse 13, he says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You cannot look favorably on wickedness. So then why do you look favorably on those who act treacherously? And why are you silent when the wicked destroy those more righteous than they? And essentially, Habakkuk is just having a go. <laughs> like He's so mad, and he's not only saying, God, this really hurts me, but more to the point, from what I understand about you, this should also hurt, hurt you too. And so what, like, what's happening? The most beautiful part of this story, I think, comes in Habakkuk chapter 2 in the very first verse where after he's ranted and raved and he's out of breath he stands and he says i will stand at my guard post and i will station myself on the tower and i'll keep watch to see what he will say to me and this is where the exchange happens this is where the connection happens and not only are we able to cast our burdens on god and to give him our aggression our frustration our confusion but we are also, it's also important for us to create room for him to give us something back in exchange, whether that's peace, whether that's trust, 
whether that's a memory of a really great conversation we had or a moment in the past where he's come through and we're reminded that we can trust him again whether it's watching the news and seeing that recently Australia, for example, has added more money to their aid bu budget. It's little glimmers of hope. And I think it's those things that keep us going. And so connecting to God's heart is not just about um, receiving, but it's about giving as well. So as I mentioned, we've been feeling compassion. We've connected with God's heart. He's given us his burdens <laughs> um, and our heart is breaking. And out of that, we're moving from a place. We're moving to action from a place of compassion. We have some hands um, and what are we going to do with them? So I'm just going to give you a couple of ways that we can act um, on climate change um, and just some of the things that you can think about. I always say that addressing climate change is something that needs to happen structurally and something that also needs to happen individually and on a social level, that we change our behaviours. Um, we're in a place where we need to adapt. Our, our climate has changed. It's still changing, but it has changed. And we've, we've passed markers um, and there are, there are things that have happened that are irreversible. And so we're looking at a situation now where how do we adapt to, to what our new climate um, is looking like. There's also this element of reducing emissions and trying to slow down the changes. Um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> don't need to expand. Trying to slow down the changes in essence. Um, so one of the first things I would say is just reading books, keeping up to date with, with what's happening and trying to take as global a perspective as possible. It's so not just reading um, stories and experiences from wealthy countries like here in the UK or U here in the US or a lot of Europe, but really connecting with voices from countries that are vulnerable to climate change. Um, I think one, it opens our eyes to the realities of climate change. But secondly, they're responding better than us, if I'm being very honest. And they are coming up with solutions and innovations um, and really kind of sticking in and getting their hands dirty. And I think one, it's a really great example for us. Um, but secondly, it's also, again, little nuggets of hope um, that we can kind of dig into. Secondly, using your voice. Um, again, climate change is something that stretches across all aspects of society. And sometimes we can look and we think, oh my gosh, it's huge, what do we? What do we do with this? Um, I would recommend just picking an area that interests you and digging into it. So whether you're interested in women and girls um, and other gender issues, whether you're interested in education, whether you're interested in transport, migration, um, whether these extreme weather events really bother you and you really want to dig into emergency relief, pick your thing, have a look at what groups are mobilizing in that interest area and join them. Um, I think organisations like Tier Fund try to take some of the, I don't want to say hard work, thinking <laughs> out of it in the sense that we create opportunities for you to engage with and in um, and we identify political moments that are happening that are really influential, that will really make a difference and we've put it on a plate and we say, hey, come and join us. 
and you're able to join with a community of people who are like-minded and also um, kind of moving out. So have a look for community and campaigns um, and organizations who are um, addressing the area that you're interested in. Have a chat with your MP. I don't know if that sounds scary or abstract or um, strange to you. They're really great people who are connected to really great people um, and they're really kind of at, in, involved in where the seat of power is in our government. Um, I promise they don't bite, go and have a chat. Um, if you're not sure what to say, just a lot of them host, not, don't know what to call them, not coffee sessions, but those kind of coffee sessions, drop-ins where you can go and chat. Just go and introduce yourself, ask what they're interested in, what they're passionate about, build a relationship um, and let them know what you're passionate about. And that's really what it is, it's about relationship. We run something in my team called Politicians and Priests um, where we kind of gather together people who are interested in engaging with their MPs. Um, we support them and help them to understand how to do that, what conversations to have. Um, and again, it's just a bunch of people who are like-minded and able to encourage each other um, in how they're doing that. Lifestyle actions. Um, like I said, we are looking at structures, but also lifestyles. Um, so the very typical reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, thinking about reducing your plastic usage, things like buying a water bottle that you can reuse, picking up a keep cup, um, thinking about where you're buying your clothes from um, and the impact that that has on people who are living in poverty, your grooming routine, what are the ingredients in your grooming routine or even your laundry routine, um, are they as eco-friendly as possible, um, thinking about your modes of transport, can you cycle? Um, or if you drive, can you catch the bus instead? Just thinking about little tweaks. And again, we don't have to do it all, but what are you passionate about? What issue hits your heart and what do you want to act on? And with that area, are we being faithful with it? And I think that's what God asks us to do. Finally, prayer. I say finally. It's not something that I want to drop on the end. It's like, oh, and just in case, pray. Um, it's not that tone at all. Actually, prayer is so fundamental to, um, to life, but also to the work that people addressing climate change and addressing justice um, do. It's something that as a team, we underpin our work by. We um, pray throughout the day. We pray throughout the week. Um, we've been praying daily as um, our team are at COP over negotiations and, and things as they change. We know that prayer changes things. Um, and so if your one thing of being faithful is to carve out prayer time, however often you'd like to do that, then that's your faithfulness. And I think God honors that and I think he listens and he acts. Um, if you want to take it wider than yourself, thinking about um, moments to pray in your small group, can you add on um, or add in a prayer request around the climate crisis? If you're bold enough <laughs> or if you lead what happens on a Sunday morning where there are opportunities to pray as a congregation, can we add a prayer request in there for something that's happening in relation to crisis? Um, prayer is really, really great. <laughs>